Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, welcome into another edition of Take It to the Bank. We've heard your requests. We've, we've, we've heard that you guys want more, more episodes. We got it. We're doing two back-to-back episodes. We're here to recap the Ravens' dominant 33-7 win over the Los Angeles Rams. As usual, I have my boy Vasily Loricos with me. And do you have any overarching thoughts about this game? I mean, it's kind of hard to get these crazy takeaways from a preseason game, especially one that's as lopsided as this one, considering the Rams didn't play any of their starters but two, and the Ravens played pretty much all of their starters but two, actually. So kind of hard to get a lot of takeaways from that first team offense and defense. But what are kind of your overarching thoughts about this game? Overall, I'm, I'm very encouraged by the Ravens' performance against the Rams. Obviously, you can't take too much away when they're playing the, their first team against the second team for you know much of the first quarter. But you have to play the man in front of you, and there was positive developments across the board. For me, it's hard to judge any of the first teams considering that they only played the second teams, and that's kind of what I talked about in my takeaways article is they did what they should have done. They dominated a far inferior team, and that's just what they did. The, the Ravens' first team offense looked sensational, but again, you got to put some sort of aspect or caveat towards it because that's what they did. You know, Joe Flacco looked very smooth, but it's hard for me not to like in my brain say well he played a, a group of second team guys well exactly you, you can't you know take great takeaways and uh draw you know immediate conclusions from a preseason game but uh it beats the alternative of looking looking bad against second teamers so uh I, i'm a, overall very encouraged yeah i guess that's one way to look at it it could have been worse they could have looked bad against second teamers and we would have been freaking out but either way, I mean, good performance from some of the, the second and third team guys as well. And, and I know we're not going to we're not going to get into it just yet. But I just want to say what a game for Brashad Perriman, you know, and, and I know that he, a lot of fans are hard on him and everyone makes fun of him in all these different ways on Twitter, Facebook, on our website as well. But I'm just from like a human standpoint, I'm happy for the guy because you could see how happy and relieved he really was that he caught that and he scored a touchdown, even though it was in the fourth quarter of a meaningless preseason game. You could tell that I felt like that was kind of like I did it, you know, like that was kind of a moment for him, like an accomplishment, like, wow, finally, I, I actually got this thing. I know he scored before in his career, but this one just to me, maybe I'm misreading it, but to me, it felt no, definitely. different. I, I definitely agree with that. And, and you probably noticed the whole team seemed excited, very happy for Perryman. I mean, Griffin ran straight down the field to congratulate him. All the offensive linemen were in the end zone, dabbing him up a little bit. And hopefully this, it helps him uh, regain some of that confidence that he lost through some of these injuries and struggles that he's had. John Harbaugh even said in his postgame press conference, that was probably the story of the night. Even though how well the offense played and how well and dominant the defense was, Rashad Perriman scoring was the, the story of the night. And I think it was. And I, and I think that th- there's some roster implications from that. you know. And I don't think that, listen, he, I'm not saying that he earned his roster spot because he scored against a group of third and fourth string guys at the end of a preseason game. But I think that that could go a long way. Like if we look back at this and he starts this trajectory of having a good preseason, because he had a great week of practice last week heading up to this game. 
And if he can can put together some more valuable preseason games and some good performances, I think we might be looking back on that touchdown and saying that kind of pushed him forward, kind of had him trending back in the correct direction, in the upward direction. And I think that, and maybe that's an overreaction for me, but that's just what I'm thinking right now is like, if he puts it together, we could be looking at that play and saying that started the climb. Sure. There's still a path for a roster spot for Perryman. He has more raw talent than a lot of the guys he's competing with. And when you, when you, Think about some of the struggles that the rookie receivers had in this game, which we'll get to shortly. Um, you know, he's going to be competing with these guys for a roster spot, Lasley and Scott in particular, all the way through until cutdown day on uh, on September 1st. Absolutely. I, so let's start with the quarterbacks here. Joe Flacco, like we mentioned before, looked super crisp, found this some of his new wide receivers, Michael Crabtree, John Brown for a couple of catches. Willie Sneed did not get a catch. was kind of a surprise to me. I thought he was going to be more of a go-to target. But again, it was only one drive. Crabtree was targeted it twice had that impressive catch John Brown your boy had a, I think a 17 yard reception as well what did you kind of see from Joe I was very encouraged by Flacco I mean he had that pinpoint pass to Hurst on the first play he showed off a little bit of mobility getting out of the pocket extending a play and then what I was actually impressed by believe it or not was that little strike that he threw to Buck Allen out of the backfield to convert that third down I mean he hit him right in stride and allowed Allen to to pick up that first down that crucial first down and that is is something that Flacco has struggled with sometimes the mechanics of, the, of some of those short passes where they sail or they are they're behind the receiver and I think the hire of uh, quarterback coach James Irvin looks like it's paying immediate dividends but Flacco I mean he was just extremely sharp all around and uh it was impressive no question I liked what I saw from Joe uh, I, I like the his ability and this is something we didn't see a lot last season, at least in the beginning, of him extending plays and getting out of the pocket and trying to create things off of like a scramble kind of drill, if you will. He did that a couple times. I thought I thought his arm was impressive. It was accurate, which was a key takeaway, you know. And like I said, it was against second stringers, but accuracy doesn't really matter. I mean, he was he was throwing darts out there, and that's something you want to see. His footwork looked way more consistent. His mechanics looked cleaner and crisper. I, w- I was overall, I was impressed with Joe. And again, he did what he should have done. He did what he was supposed to do, but still, it's a, it's an impressive Definitely. performance that, nonetheless. That play where he extended, the pocket collapsed. He kind of broke out of the pocket and hit Crabtree downfield for uh, for a thirty yard contested catch. I mean, that was uh, that was beautiful. It was beautiful to see. And then Lamar. I mean, I thought he had a very good showing, bounce back performance from his first uh, debut last week. Absolutely. Lamar Jackson, to me, was just an improvement, you know, and that's what I liked about him is it, is when you talk about rookie quarterbacks, you want to see them slowly progress and develop. Pretty much kind of like life, you don't want him to make the same mistakes twice. You want him to continue to improve but and make new mistakes, I guess you could say, especially in the preseason. I know it sounds stupid. You want to see him make mistakes, but you want to see him get the rookie kinks out, and I think that he's starting to do that. In, in the first preseason game, in the Hall of Fame game, he made some bad decisions. He struggled with timing, which led to an interception. And he's at times, I think he relied too much on his athleticism in the Hall of Fame game. And I think he learned the hard way that he can't always just dance around and get out of the pocket like he did in college because he got sacked a couple times in that game. And now we go to this game against the Rams. He looked much more confident. He looked much more comfortable calling the plays, kind of orchestrating the offense, led to a nice 36-yard strike to scoop and score more, your boy. Um, he had a couple of fantastic throws that blew me away. He had one bad 
bad throw that I know he wants back. That was almost intercepted, went in and out of the hands of the, of the Rams defender. But other than that, Lamar Jackson had a very solid game. I thought that he established himself more as a pocket passer, and it was an impressive performance, you know. And then and then he added that athleticism with that nine-yard touchdown run, and that's what I think Lamar Jackson's going to learn is that He's got to be a pocket passer first, but at times he's got to find ways to use his athleticism, kind of like the way that Russell Wilson does. I know there are a little bit of different quarterbacks with different skill sets, but that's kind of the way you want to see him use his athleticism, the way that Russell uses it, where he uses athleticism to kind of create more time for his receivers to get open and then throw it, not always just let me run right away, like scramble out and run, maybe scramble out and try to keep your eyes down the field and do that. I think he did a good job at that. That pass, or he let scoop and score our boy go up and grab it. I was impressed by that. One area that he could improve upon as he's continuing to improve here was uh, with the RPOs, the run pass option plays. I uh, couldn't get around the edge on a few of those that I thought he should have been able to. And uh, Brian Billick, the commentator, former coach, he also mentioned that uh, he just kind of seems unsure and needs to make better decisions in that situation. But I was very impressed with his ball placement. Um, you know, he had a nice pass to Allen, a couple other balls that really were in the right spot. And he does have his inaccuracies outside the hashes. He's working on that. What I was impressed by was even on the passes that were incomplete, they were in a place where only the receiver could grab him. He wasn't leaving him up there for a defensive back to, to, uh, to turn him over. And uh, the cutback on that TD run, I mean, that's the reason why he was drafted. That's the dimension that he brings that made him a first-round pick, that made him a Heisman Trophy quarterback. It was great to see. And, uh, and Ed Reed, the ball hawk himself, was on the sidelines, gave an interview during the game, and he concurred that the uh, you know a mobile quarterback puts immense pressure on a defense. And it's just a great dynamic to really help keep defenses off balance and move the chains and uh, – I'm encouraged overall by by the step Lamar took from the first to the second game. Absolutely, and Robert Griffin III coming off of that dynamic Hall of Fame game performance where he pretty much, my jaw dropped when I was watching him at the Hall of Fame game. I was so impressed with how after a year of not playing football, how good he looked. And this game, you know, another strong performance. I think he was saved a little bit later by that touchdown with Rashad Perriman. But that was a beautiful throw. I mean, we, we're going to talk about the catch a lot. We're going to talk about Perriman, but... That was an absolute dime from RG3. It was. I mean, he plays with a lot of poise. He really does. And you can tell that uh, he really is a leader on the field there for a lot of the young guys. Now, for me personally, I can't put too much stock into a veteran such as RG3's performance in the second half of a preseason game. But but he played well. I mean, I can't complain. I kind of disagree with that. Because, okay, I know he's a veteran. I know he's a well-accomplished veteran at that. But... The thing is, is he's battling to be the third quarterback. He's trying to prove to the team that he's a valuable asset. And I know we both disagree that no matter what he does, he shouldn't be on the roster because it just doesn't make sense to keep three quarterbacks. But that's a totally different argument. From his standpoint, he's just got to prove and produce no matter what they put him on the field because they're not going to give him reps over Lamar. They're not going to give him reps as the first teamer without a doubt over Joe because Joe needs those reps as well. So RG3 just has to produce whenever he can. And I think that that's that's the biggest takeaway for me is just produce when you can. And I'll put stock into it if he performs well. And yeah, you give him the caveat that he's playing against likely second and third teamers. But nevertheless, I mean, this guy's got to produce at 
a crazy level in order for him to make the roster. And I think that thus far, he's certainly making Baltimore's decision a little bit harder. Would I like to see him get more reps against the second, maybe the first and second team? Sure, but I just don't think it's feasible given the Ravens' other two quarterbacks. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Running backs, I thought the running backs said a good performances overall. Uh, Collins, Alex Collins, he didn't have a whole lot of opportunities, but he did show great burst in uh, the two carries that he did have, especially that off-tackle run that he got a lot of uh, yards down the field after contact. And then Buck Allen, you know, just a very solid all-around player, just a very reliable dump-down option. And I think he's a nice compliment to Collins as that sneaking presence in the, uh, as a backup. Yeah, Alex Collins had that nice run, and I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the offensive line there. I mean, great blocking for that first-team group. But let's let's talk about my boy Gus Edwards real quick. This is a guy that, honestly, I wasn't really high on coming in. So coming into training camp, I didn't think I didn't know what he was going to provide. I thought that the, I thought that Delance Turner was was going to be the UDFA running back to watch, but he's proven me wrong. He's not really getting many reps. But Gus Edwards, man, he looks he looks everything that I thought he wasn't going to be. You know, he yeah, Edwards was great. Edwards, uh, he's definitely shown showing us something. Really good vision I noticed out of one back sets. Um, he knows what hole to to attack. You know, he picked up that fourth down up the gut. I mean, he really makes the most of his blocking. 4.8 yards average over 12 carries speaks for itself in a lot of ways. The other man that impressed me was Thompson, the other UDFA. I mean, he's a powerful runner, keeps his pads low, hits the hole hard. Uh, and on that screen pass that he caught in the second half, uh, you know, he showed off hands, balance, and clock awareness. Um, so it, it, was a, it was a good showing from these young guys. On a quick side note, Taquan Mizell, the former uh, Ravens training camp darling from last season, who's now with the Bears, did have a touchdown last night in their game, but he also dropped the pass that was uh, picked off. And uh, he may be somebody they want to keep an eye on, maybe to bring in. I mean, the college football has really provided an influx of talented runners the last few years, and I have a lot of confidence that somebody intriguing is going to shoot uh, in cutdowns. And I think there is a reasonable chance that the Ravens' third running back is not on the roster yet. That's interesting. Uh, Kenneth Dixon, you know, didn't play this game. You know, he was he was out there on warm-ups, and there was all indication that he was going to play. I'm not sure if there was a tweak or a, hamstring, a tweak on the hamstring or another tweak or something like that during warm-ups. But he was suited up, didn't suit, and then and ended up not playing. Not sure if that was just precautionary, that was the plan, or what. Um, I haven't really figured out that information yet. Still trying to work on finding that. But Kenneth Dixon at this point ha- has a lot to prove in these final three preseason games. I think that Kenneth Dixon's roster spot is far from secure at this point. I mean, he's a guy, let's just look at what it is. I mean, he's had three knee injuries since the Ravens drafted him. He's had now a hamstring injury. He's had two suspensions. I mean, I don't know at this point how you can keep this guy unless he balls out in the rest of the preseason. I definitely agree with that. Uh, availability is uh, is the best quality. I mean, he's just proving to be not reliable. He's almost turning into a Campanero where he's just constantly hurt, always something else or another injury here or there. And uh, I think that third that third running back spot is uh, is very wide open right now. I think it's just... At this point, I just don't know why they would keep him. I, I, I just because he hasn't proven anything. Even in the games that he did play, he wasn't 
spectacular. He didn't wow me. He didn't like like it's not like they, and they don't even know what they have in him because he hasn't played that much. And that's the biggest thing for me is you don't know what you have with Kenneth Dixon because he really hasn't had consistent su- success at this point to to be worthy of a roster spot. But I want to move on to the wide receivers. Uh, we kind of talked a little bit in the beginning about Perryman. I want to focus on the rookie wide receivers because we kind of disagree on this. In the, through the first two preseason games, neither has really shown me anything. Um, I, I, at this point, I, I don't know if you can keep them. I think this is that. I think that might be a little bit of an over, overreaction for me, just prisoner of the moment. But I mean, these guys are, are struggling to separate. Uh, they both had two dro- uh, drop each last night. I mean, at this, can you really keep them at this point, especially considering that you have other wide receivers that could be worthy of a roster spot? I mean, think about it. You have the three free agent signings that are locks, obviously. Chris Moore is obviously a lock at this point. And then who do you have? I mean, if you if you keep those two rookie wide receivers, you're only able to keep Tim White maybe as the seventh receiver, maybe. But I don't know. With how he's been playing, I don't know if, if, if you can reasonably cut him. And then, so if you, and then you have Perryman. If he turns it on, I mean, I don't know how you can. Listen, I've, I've had Lasley and Scott on the bubble from day one. I caught a little bit of heat on our Baltimore beatdown uh, boards when uh, when I put them on the bubble after the draft, the day after the draft, and had Tim White as a lock. Uh, uh, but I stand by that. Lasley's drop in particular was horrendous. And let's face it, Ozzy's track record draft, drafting mid, mid-round wide receivers is is abysmal. I think both those guys have a long way to go, obviously. They're still rookies. But I'm not particularly expecting great things from from either of them. Uh, you know, when Perryman goes out and makes a good play, I mean, he had catches. He had a couple catches where he extended his arms and caught caught the ball with his hands, which we want to see. And then that that TD catch was, you know, it was poster worthy on that fly route. He just ran down the field and posted up in the end zone, and waited for the ball, and then went up and got it and brought it down for that big touchdown. So you know, you have the top four. Crabtree obviously is a lock. He did have a drop, but that that thirty-yard catch he atoned for it on third down, and he also had a nice smooth double move in the end zone. I believe that was a that play was called back on penalty. He wasn't targeted, but just watching the way he gets open and and, and uses his body to create separation, you can really tell why he's such a a potent red zone threat. And then Smokey Brown with a seventeen-yard catch over the middle. You know he's really showing that he's more than a one-dimensional speed merchant. Personally, I believe that he should be a starting wide receiver in two wide sets over Willie Sneed. Um, he, he just brings more to the table. And uh, scoop and score, that, that contested catch he made was uh, was outstanding. He snatched the ball right off the top of the defender's helmet. I mean, he doesn't have much better than that. So that's your top four. And then I think the, the second two, projecting six wide receivers, you know, there's probably four or five guys in competition there, uh, including your boy uh, – Janarian Grant. Come on, man. Don't, don't, don't. Listen, I was disappointed in Janarian Grant. And I wrote about it before and I wrote about it after. I thought that Janarian Grant had a golden opportunity with Tim White out. Janarian Grant had everything in front of him. They gave him every pump return and almost every kick, not the kick returns, but almost every pump return. And he had a couple kick returns as well, but he just didn't capitalize. And I know we talked a lot about it in the Slack chat. Is the thing with him, though, I guess the one positive and the thing that you have to say is that he didn't drop any balls. He did bobble one, but he didn't drop any, and he didn't fumble any. But he didn't wow me. 
And I think that that's what he needed to do. He needed to have, I'm not saying he needed to return one for a touchdown, but he needed to have a couple of returns that wowed me. He made a couple guys miss, and I was somewhat impressed with his elusiveness and agility, but I don't think that he did anything to close the gap against Tim White. And it's not that Tim White looked good as a returner in the Hall of Fame game either. It's just that Tim White is, is more of a proven track record, and he's just is the favorite in the clubhouse right now, and that's it. And Janarian Grant won't get another game where he has that many opportunities unless Tim White misses another game, which I don't think is going to happen. Yeah, I don't think he showed enough to overtake White, assuming White can return from that uh, specified injury soon. I mean, he's just another guy, Grant. I don't think he's anything particularly uh, dynamic and worth noting he did catch fair catch two punts at the 10 yard line and from my vantage point I thought both of those were going to bounce into the end zone for touchbacks Um, and also another quick sidebar here I don't want to harp on this because we talked about it last week with the helmet rule Grant did uh, pick up I guess cause a penalty from the Rams defensive back who squared him up and hit him with the helmet. And I really thought that call could have went either way. It looked like Grant was the one that lowered his head and initiated contact. So the refs are going to have to keep working to refine that call. I think that I, I, I just, I agree with that because that, that was a very controversial play because I, like I mentioned in our last episode about the helmet rule in that discussion with the refs, someone asked them about what happens if the runner, the guy with the ball drops his helmet and initiates contact. And they said, that's a foul on him. But on that play, it looked like he did that. It looked like like both guys dropped their helmets in order to try to engage in contact. And that's, that's a fundamental flaw right now is I think the gets where the game, that's how people taught runners to do is drop your head and drop your, drop your shoulders and in, in turn your head drops as well and you initiate contact. So I don't know how that rule is going to work, but certainly I think that, that call could have went either way. I certainly agree with you on that one. Uh, can we talk about Project Pat for a minute? Can we just talk about Project Pat? Because Project Pat is sensational. Some people are telling me that he's not a lock. At this point, I don't know how you can call that guy not a lock. He's looked great on the defensive line, creating a lot of pressures, looks explosive there. He might have a role on the defensive line while also being the team's primary fullback. I mean, how many two-way players in the NFL are are there? Because he's a valuable asset on offense as as a lead blocker and a fullback, but he can also, as he's shown last season and he showed last night, he can also kind of run that little flat route and, and score a touchdown in the red zone. So Project Pat, to me, is a lock. He's been impressive on both sides of the ball. Stone cold lock. So, I mean, not only is he a, a huge blocker that can really deliver the wood in the hole and knock those linebackers off the ball, but as you said, I mean, those are some pretty good hands for a big man. He's got, what, three professional touchdowns already now. And on the D-line, he's, he's excelling too. Um, I'm very, very happy by him. He's just Stone Cold Lock. Let's let's go on to the offensive line now, Logan. Or I'm sorry, let's do tight ends. Quickly, not a whole lot of notes on tight ends, but uh, Hayden Hurst, he did catch that nice that nice key key grab in traffic. What I was really impressed by, frankly, was his blocking. I mean, he had that big block downfield to spring Collins on that long run, and he also had a nice seal block on Edwards' run. So I think he's he's definitely ready to to start at this level. Um, and that's really all I have. I mean, Vince Mayo, short yardage, uh, his running run blocking was kind of meh, not, not anything special, but he did have a decent catch and run out of the flat. Yeah. Mark Andrews had that miscommunication with Lamar Jackson. I think that Andrews thought it was a different play. I think he thought it was a run when I think it was, 
When, when he thought it was a run, he was blocking that field. Lamar threw him a pass, and he wasn't expecting it. Hayden Hurst, like you mentioned before, was great in run blocking. That's a good sign to see because that was one of his biggest weaknesses. That was one of the concerns I had for him coming out of college was that he's not going to block, and he was pretty good at blocking last night. Uh, Vince Mill, like you mentioned, made a couple of those catches, but not too much to, to kind of take away from there. I guess with tight ends, really the the guy you're really looking for wasn't out there, Max Williams. Max Williams is kind of on the bubble right now, and he's kind of fighting for a spot. And he, I think he's the only guy that would make it so they would keep four tight ends. And I just, again, if he's not out there, then you can't really prove his prove his stock, obviously. So he's he's still got a lot to prove in these final three preseason games. But that I guess that's the positive of the Ravens having five preseason games is he gets – is he gets more opportunities because because he played in the Hall of Fame game, didn't play in this one. Uh, offensive line, I liked it. I liked what I saw from a couple guys. Bradley Bozeman, finally, I don't know, I was banging on the table for this. I don't know, I guess they were making him earn his earn his reps, but finally was getting that second team reps. His center looked incredible. I was really impressed with him. You know, we we did a fi- our film kind of breakdown on him, and I was I was concerned about his balance. I was concerned about his football IQ. I was concerned about him picking up blitzes, stunts, things like that. And he answered all my questions last night. Obviously, he's got way more to prove, but he answered all my questions. Nico Saragusa, a guy that I didn't think was going to make the roster just because of his health at this point. I thought he was going to end up on the pup or something. Ends up not, obviously, starting training camp on the active list, which was certainly a surprise. But he looked really good last night, clearing some big holes. I liked what I saw from him. Orlando Brown Jr. continues and I say continues because he's building off his dominant Hall of Fame game with another dominant performance here. And Joe Flacco even said, man, he's he's really talented. You know, you look at the film and he shows up all over there. And I, I can attest to that. You know, I rewatched the game and he looked really good. Well, I, I actually think the offensive line was a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, Bozeman, as you said, definitely moving people right off the ball in short yardage. And I also want to note his, his shotgun snaps looked really good. Um Syracuse and Nico, good to see him out there mixing it up. He was definitely creating some running lanes. However, I do think he needs to improve a little bit in his uh, pass blocking. He did give up some some pressure. Um, Zeus, tons of playing time. They're really taking advantage of this time to, to round him into shape and get him the experience he needs. I thought his kick slide was better getting out to, to uh, cover those, those speedy guys. And uh, he just did well, pretty well to mirror the pass rushers. Um, Skura. Played what he, I think he played about three or four series, and I did notice he held his block very well on Lamar Jackson's touchdown run. And Greg Sinat, we had our first experience uh, seeing what he could bring to the table, and I actually liked what I saw, especially uh, run blocking. He had two or three really solid down blocks where he just kind of created a gap on that, on that left side playing as a second team left tackle. Um, and he held his own in pass protection. He had a couple blocks on the second level in the run game. And I think despite missing some time, there's still a possibility he can claim that backup swing tackle uh, roster spot. So the starters played, I guess the, the veteran starters, or the basically Ronnie Stanley, he played one drive, and he gave up a hurry on that drive, which wasn't great. I think uh, really the key, one of the under – understated keys of this Ravens offense in 2018 is Stanley. If he can play at a Pro Bowl caliber caliber level, the Ravens can cover up some of their deficiencies elsewhere. But if he can't quite reach that level, they may have some difficulty really getting this pass game clicking. And uh, and James Hurst, I also noticed that uh, his pass blocking was not great in the limited time he did see. He gave up a pressure. Um, So 
I hope Stanley can pick it up and, uh, and we'll continue to see how this battle unfolds on the interior. That's interesting. Yeah, I do think it was a mixed bag as well. I, I Stanley certainly struggled. I watched him a little bit. He struggled a little bit at times as well. But I don't know. As for the as a whole, I was pretty impressed with the group. You know, I thought that the second team did better than they did in the Hall of Fame game, but still a little bit too many sacks. But I thought that I guess this is kind of back to Lamar Jackson. But I thought it was kind of cool that the Ravens allowed Lamar to to play with that first team offense or for, for first team offensive line to kind of give him protection to see what you have because that's a better judge. You know, in the Hall of Fame game, he kind of had. Mostly that second team unit, and they struggled, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, we're going to see. It's, it's great to see him get that experience. I'd like to see them give some other young players an opportunity to see what they can do against ones and twos instead of threes and fours so you really see what they have, and we'll get to that later. Illuminor, I thought, took a little bit of a step back after a pretty good game in the first in the Hall of Fame game. Uh, he was beaten badly. He was soundly beaten for, for a sack that he gave up. And I'm not sure. I think I was a little bit more optimistic about his roster chances before this game, and I think this puts him back kind of right squarely on that bubble. Absolutely. Switched it to the defensive side of the ball. I thought the corners played a little bit well. Darius Williams had that nice PBU. I was pretty impressed. He was a guy that I was pretty high on going into last week, and then I had to temper my expectations because, of, because he kind of disappointed a lot of touchdown grab last week. And then this week comes back, battles back, has a pretty impressive performance. Stanley John-Baptiste. Had great coverage on that touchdown, but I think the receiver just made a better play. Well, it was perfect ball placement. It was great coverage on that that touchdown. He was in man there. I thought uh, Gene Baptiste actually had a down game. Um, He gave up a couple plays. He was a little bit soft in zone coverage, but I think what really hurts his roster chances as a potential special, special teams contributor was that he was caught in the wrong lane at one point on kickoff coverage. Um, and Maurice Canada, he had a nice bounce-back game. He skied up for that big-time interception there that he made. He was actually in zone coverage and kind of peeled out of his area, read the quarterback's eyes to make that play. Very nice play. Anthony Averett still needs to work on breaking on the ball a little bit faster, but he had sticky coverage you know, throughout the third quarter. Um, and then my last note on the corners is Tavon Young. He didn't see a whole lot of time, but he did have a nice blitz from the slot for a tackle for a loss. And that really shows why he's the perfect man to play the nickel. He combines that quick twitch athleticism and coverage with also being a very sure, very sound tackler. And uh, I'm very excited to see how he can improve the defense out of that slot compared to, you know, Lardarius Webb, who had substantial struggles last year. Um, So Tavon, he may be one of the biggest reasons to be optimistic that the Ravens starting defense can be even better than they were last year. Yeah, Tavon was your guy. You thought you wrote an article last year that, that the missing piece is Tavon Young. Or you wrote that you wrote that this offseason. You said Tavon Young's the missing piece. And I think Tavon Young could be. You know, he's certainly an upgrader from Reese Kennedy in the slot. And T- Tavon Young has has looked decent in in limited limited uh outings this, thus far in the preseason. I liked what I saw from him. Uh, Maurice Kennedy. Speaking of him, how about that? An impressive interception. Really climbed the ladder to get that. And I, and I think that Maurice Kennedy is, is kind of getting slept on now. You know, with with Marlon Humphrey, Jimmy Smith, Brandon Card, Tavon Young, he's kind of becoming the forgotten guy. But if it were me, like we talk about this a lot, and I don't want to go off on this tangent, but if it were me, I would put him as a safety. I would have him be a safety, especially in those, those cover three looks, those three safety looks, have him be the third safety, so to speak, because his coverage mode has always, has always been solid. He's rangy. He's got good speed. He's got good, good size. You know, I think he could be a good, good coverage safety in the deep third of the field. 
It makes a lot of sense. He's definitely better in zone coverage than man, so I think that does make a lot of sense. Uh, speaking of the safeties, it was kind of a quiet game for the safeties in my mind. I mean, really, the Ravens' defense just dominated. They allowed uh, three yards per play, period, including running and passing, uh, 27% on third down, and they stopped them twice on fourth down, 0 for 2 on fourth down conversions. But I did notice that Chuck Clark was playing with the first team in, in – uh, Tony Jefferson's place is Jefferson recovers from that pulled hamstring. Um, and I did notice that uh, on the third down, Weddle was actually in the box and Clark was playing the deep middle in a free safety role. I also noticed Anthony Levine, when the first team was out there, had a ton of snaps as the uh, the weak side linebacker on third down. It seems like they're going to continue that trend to trying to get a little bit more speed on the field. In, in third down, whether you want to call that a dime package or just consider him a, a hybrid linebacker, I guess is up to you. And then uh, Deshaun Elliott, he had that nice nice stick on special teams. He simply did his job. Like Bill Belichick always says, just do your job. And, uh, you know, he also recovered uh, that fumble that Tim Williams caused. And, and I'm, I'm very uh, impressed by what we've seen from Deshaun Elliott throughout, uh, throughout really the whole offseason training camp and the preseason thus far. Absolutely. I, I want to switch to the defensive line real quick and Project Pat. I mean, he was one of the most impressive defensive linemen. It's crazy for me to even say that, but I liked what I saw from him. Michael Pierce also flashed, and you know he flashed from the one-tech spot, which is a spot that he struggled at last last season. So I was impressed with him. I thought Bratz Kafusi had kind of a down game after his kind of impressive performance. He got snaps at both in the interior offensive line, also an edge. I mean, this defensive line is, is, is becoming – it's becoming clear to me what that defensive line rotation is going to look like. And I think Michael Pierce coming I, – I, I know this is kind of the wrong lingo, but I think Michael Pierce coming off of the sidelines and not being a three-down player is probably best not only for the team but for him. Absolutely. He's been very disruptive so far. And I think limiting his snaps and not telling him, you know, you have to hold up for – 30 or 40 snaps a game or whatever it was last year and saying just pin your ears back and collapse in more limited time and and don't worry about conserving your energy really suits him to a t and uh after uh after the bears defensive front really dominated the ravens second team offensive line it was the ravens defensive line's turn to do the same to the rams second team uh, Urban had a tip ball. That's really his specialty. Wormley had another tip ball, batted a ball down at the line. I thought Wormley played with good energy. Um, Rykard, he had that big stuff on fourth down when he penetrated into the backfield and brought the ball carrier down to uh, to get off the field. Kafusi, I noticed he lost uh, lost the edge, run containment on a on a on a run on first down, and he did struggle to get off blocks. Uh, he did have a nice tackle for a loss, but really he was untouched on that play. So I don't know how many uh, how many points you want to give him for that. And then Siler, um, he did miss uh, a, a tackle at one point, but uh, that that sack he had on third down, I mean, he just just had a bull rush and he was just unstoppable. Just wanted to compete, wanted to get to the to a quarterback, and he did. And he's just a very good competitor. I'm impressed with him as well. Absolutely. Uh, I want to talk about Kamala Correa real quick. You know, got some snaps at outside linebacker and inside linebacker. Didn't really flash. I thought sometimes he picked the wrong hole. And he kind of showed me what I thought he was, where he had poor instincts as an inside linebacker, missed a couple opportunities, kind of hit the, hit the wrong hole, hit the wrong gap. And 
Kamala Correa, to me, again, is still on the roster, but when he's got a ton more to prove, and he's got to prove it from the inside linebacker position because the Ravens, I think, at this point can't keep a... I just don't think they can keep a guy that isn't sound there, but I think that eventually, he's if he can prove that he's inside linebacker, they can keep him over Albert McClellan for sure. Yeah, Correa, I mean, I thought he had decent awareness at inside linebacker, perhaps better. He's getting a little bit more feel for the position. Um there's not a whole lot to say about him. He, he didn't really flash too much. The uh, the first team edge rushers had a you know a dominant performance. Sizzle came off the edge to uh, to strip the ball out on third down. Judon had a nice sack on a dip dip move. Um, so Darius Smith had a little bit of a down game. I thought he lost the edge on one run play and also got caught up in the wash on another. So uh, he seems to be a little bit better as a pass rusher than a run defender. But really, this was the uh, Timmy Williams coming out party. This was the best game he's had, and uh, it's great to see. Yeah, Tim Williams. I mean, we talk about a guy that, that we were both high on when the Ravens drafted him, and then I think he was a little bit more raw than really anyone expected and kind of struggled his first year. You know, only played in eight games, didn't really get too many snaps in those eight games. Then you come back. And then this this preseason really has been kind of the coming out party, like you said, you know, in that Hall of Fame game, certainly Flash was beating his guys several times, didn't register a sack though. And then in this game, continues to beat his guy, and then he finally gets rewarded with the sack. And I think I think Tim Williams is is gonna be battling with Zadarius Smith for more snaps this year, especially with Tyus Bowser still on the sidelines. Sure. I mean he had that excellent strip sack with the speed rust. I mean, it's it's hard to contain a man with that kind of speed coming off the edge. He still has his issues in run defense. I don't know if he's ever gonna be a great run defender. You're probably going to be a situational player for uh, at least this year and maybe next year as well. But uh, he found the ball versus the run okay. Somebody mentioned that uh, he's good when he's attacking the runner, but when, when the runner's coming directly at him, he uh, he has struggles with that. But not only did he have that sack, he had another really nice clean-up tackle for a loss on a play that Pierce collapsed the pocket. And uh, he, he really balled out. I, I think uh, – this is the best game we've seen from him so far, and if he can just be that that tertiary or, or fourth pass rushing option to bring in off the bench when you need a big a big stop on third and long, that can help keep the, the headliners healthy and fresh for uh, for the postseason run in December. Absolutely. And do you have any final thoughts, kind of takeaways from this game? I mean, mine mine was that um, I might not know what to look for in UDFA talent. Delance Turner was my guy. I loved him. I felt that he was everything the Ravens could be, and they just haven't been giving him reps, which means that, one, they're either trying to stash him, or two, which is probably unlikely, or two, they just he's just not what I thought he could be, or, or it's a tougher transition for him. But I think that he's definitely a practice squad candidate for sure. Uh, that's, a, that's a reasonable opinion. I think they might carry two uh, running backs from the practice squad, depending on how it all shakes out. Another guy that I think UDFA, who's done reasonably well, is Alvin Jones, the inside linebacker. He had a, a clothesline tackle in special teams coverage, and he's probably going to be that you know, 56th or whatever man on the practice squad waiting for an injury or a need to arise to be called up. And just to touch on the inside linebackers quickly, I thought Kenny Young had a solid game, solid tackling. You know, his instincts are pretty good. He's really just – he was in the right place at the right time, which is something – we were possibly concerned about after watching his tape, his college tape. Uh, Peanut, eh, he didn't really do too much. He got swallowed up by an offensive lineman on one play. And another player just worth mentioning, Albert McClellan. Um, he looks noticeably 
slower coming back from that ACL. He was never a fast guy to begin with, but he uh, he let a back get to the sideline and get upfield on him. And uh, he, I, I believe, right at this point, he's on the wrong side of the bubble. But general takeaways: it was a good showing from the Ravens. I thought the play calling was uh, was good, was solid from both Wink Martindale, is extremely aggressive, and then Marty. He did pretty well to move the pocket, create a little bit of deception, and really focus on a. Uh, on creating matchups in the middle of the field. Absolutely. I certainly agree with that as well. I just want to bring this up real quick. Baker Mayfield looks sensational in his first debut. Granted, it was against the second teamers. Tyrod Taylor got the first team reps, obviously, but the second teamer, second teamers for him. But Baker looked good. He had a, a touchdown to Antonio Callaway. The Browns' defense, looked a little, first team defense, looked a little shaky. They allowed a, a on the first play. They allowed a 39-yard play to, to Saquon Barkley. The Steelers, we saw that the Steelers, Juju Smith-Schuster again made a made another crazy play in the preseason. Uh, are we done going to say that the Ravens shouldn't have passed on him yet? Uh, the, the Bengals, they look pretty solid as well. Autumn Tate, another guy that we were high on, had a nice impressive touchdown grab as well. Yeah, well, briefly checked out the other the other games that occurred uh, on Thursday night. Uh, just really the highlights. I'm not, I love football, but I'm not going to go back and watch preseason games from other teams, to be honest with you. But uh, Juju had that good catch. Cam Sutton of the Steelers had an interception. He's coming along. Joe Mixon had a nice play for the Bengals where he had great balance on a score after catch. Um, John Ross, I'm still not sure what to make of him. He fell down on a play for the Bengals that resulted in an interception. Uh, but the Browns looked fantastic, to be honest. Uh, Landry had a nice back shoulder throw from Tyrod. And Joku had two touchdowns, really athletic plays. And then Mayfield, I mean, he really picked them apart. He has great poise. Don't, he had a couple really nice plays. Don't to trigger me with that with the G word. Happened, then a don't, deep don't shot. Trigger, don't but trigger really me with that. That's not fair. It was the, uh, it's not the rookie. He had a nice impressive play, you know, kind of. And, and Skip had, Bayless, you know, whether Gallup, you like him or not, Gallup, I thought Skip Bayless DJ had a great Moore, nickname for him. He called him Michael Can Really Brown. And that was the guy that I was very high on. You know, I was begging the table for the Ravens to get him, especially in the seventh round pick. But again, we have to remember. This is only the preseason. Uh, it's not any indication. I mean, yeah, you can get some indications from it, but until the regular season starts, there's not really too much to really kind of go from it. But I will say this. I want to I end with this. Pro Football Talk reported last night that during the Browns game, on the next, and, and on the next episode of Hard Knocks, which you will see, offensive coordinator Todd Haley looks right into the cameras and says, and I quote, it's not my idea to keep Baker Mayfield on the bench. Do we have a quarterback controversy in, Cre- in Cleveland? I'm not sure. Stay tuned next week. I think next week we're going to have a surprise for you guys. We're going to talk to, well, I think actually later this weekend, we're going to talk to our Browns guy. We're going to talk to a Bengals reporter. And we're going to talk to a Steelers reporter and kind of get their takeaways from the from their respective first preseason games. But we will we'll talk about all that and more. I know we're going to get, get together with the Browns reporter to kind of talk to them about their kind of takes on it. But uh, with that... We're out.
Hey everybody, it's Neil Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge. I host a podcast every week called The Verge Cast with my friends Paul Miller and Dieter Bone. We've got a rotating cast of characters from our entire site, which is about technology, how it impacts culture, and how that is all a big cycle that causes us to have a wide variety of feelings that you can listen to every Friday. We've done over 300 episodes in the six years since The Verge has been around, but you only need to listen to one, the latest one, to get caught up on everything in tech news. Vergecast is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else. Also, you listen to podcasts, check it out.